Good morning, everybody. Happy Father's Day. How's everybody doing today? Yeah. My name is Chris. I'm the pastor here at the church, and uh, I just want to, uh, before we get going into any other things, I'm about to do something very uh, serious, uh, and, but before we get to that, I want to make sure that I call out something else so it's not a distraction. I mentioned it a little earlier. There seems to be an alarm going off in the kitchen right here. I said earlier, I think that means the french fries are done, um, so like afterwards, maybe there's a french fry party, um, but uh, hopefully that's not too distracting for you. If it is, maybe you could just go sit on this side of the room. I don't know what we do there. Um, hashtag mobile church. That's where we are. Um, but uh, I'd like to actually start in a whole different way, and the reason I called that out is uh, because... I'd like to observe a moment of silence in just a second. Um, you know, last week there was uh, really a national tragedy uh, with the shooting in Orlando, and there's been a lot of things said about it that shouldn't have been said. There have been a lot of things said and done about it that really uh, were good, uh, but at the heart of it, um, it's, never, it's never okay for bad, bad things to happen in the name of evil uh, or at all. It's not God's plan and uh, I hope that if any of you have any connection with any of the situation down in Orlando, that you've been able to find the help that you need. And if not, please reach out uh, to me and through your church family. We'll do our best to help you. Uh, and it can just be a, another reminder of the reason that our world needs the love of Jesus. Um, and so uh, I would just like for, for the victims of that shooting and the families involved that we could just observe a moment of silence. Thank you. So we're continuing this Sermon on the Mount series called Beautiful Contrast, and uh, I, I, it just it, it can't escape me today, something about it being Father's Day. Um, I was thinking about it this week, and my son is nine, uh, and he is almost 10 years old, and that means I've been a dad for almost 10 years, which to me, I think back, I'm like, it seems like just yesterday, I was just learning how to like ride a bicycle, and now, you know, I got my son doing all kinds of things, and we have two kids now, uh, my son is, is nine going on 10, my daughter's six going on 14, I don't know, like wherever she is, and it's, in, it's incredible. Now, uh, as a dad, it's been difficult for me to find the right hat to wear. If, a parent, if you're a parent, you understand this. So you wear a lot of hats as a parent. I find that most often I wear two major hats. Uh, one of them is I feel like I'm part uh, life coach, and then the other one is I'm part like NFL referee, right? Like I'm either trying my best to give out good words of wisdom, or I'm walking into a dog pile, and I've got to dig to the bottom and figure out who committed a foul and like I wish there was uh I wish there was a video replay like that would help me out a lot but you know so if you grew up with siblings you know this is true because when you live in a house with somebody else there's going to be problem right there's going to be some conflict there's going to be some struggle there's going to be some argument I had a younger brother and I remember there were times we were literally fist to fist just fighting each other uh maybe you experienced that it's just part of growing up and I think it's good for you it makes you tough it gives you some of those basic people skills that you learn as a human being um but this morning we're talking about some things Jesus said about conflict and it begins as a child, doesn't it? But as you get older, the conflict gets more serious and the implications of it become more lasting. And so I'm just going to take a quick little survey. I think I know where this is going to go, but I'm going to do it anyway. How many of you have ever experienced conflict with another person? Anybody? Okay, that's all of us or the rest of us weren't paying attention, right? Like that's Because conflict is, is everywhere. Another question, okay, and this is not one you can raise your hand to. It's something to think about. So how do you respond to conflict? You know, what is your response there are a lot of basic things you can do, and if you boil it down, I think there might be two types of resolution for conflict. Uh, there are the avoiders. That means conflict is here. I'm going that way, right? 
And then there are the attackers that conflict is here, I'm diving in, right? And so whichever end of the spectrum you land on, those are kind of the two ways that we basically deal with conflict. And, and some of those are good and some of those are not so healthy, like some of the letters we read earlier from people who didn't like their neighbors and stuff. But I believe that as we look at those, those are our most natural reactions. But when we get to some stuff today that Jesus is saying, I think he offers a third option. A third option that is not necessarily our natural reaction, but actually that might require some supernatural response. So here's the big, the big idea, okay? How to take our natural reactions and turn them into a supernatural response. If you can follow that train of thought through the rest of the stuff we get through today, you, you'll land on something important for yourself and in your relationship with God this morning. Uh, here at Venture Church, we love to look to the Bible for the answers to life's most important questions. Uh, we say that all the time. So if you want to grab your Bible, go ahead and do that. We're going to be continuing in Matthew chapter 5. We've been in there for six weeks now, and we're almost, we're about halfway through the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and Matthew chapter 5 is in the New Testament of the Bible. If you're not real familiar with the Bible, uh, it's there in the last third of the Bible, and it's one of the four biographies of Jesus' life. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, we've got some free ones we give away, and so feel free to grab one and take it with you when you leave. They're under the seats, and also the, the scripture will be on the screen behind me. But in Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to be starting in verse 38, Jesus is going to talk about engaging with conflict. But here's the thing. This isn't the first time Jesus talked about this. In fact, in the last six weeks, Jesus has touched on conflict many, many times. Let me give you a couple examples. In the very first week, as we talked about the Beatitudes, Jesus touched on uh, these ideas about being peacemakers, about being merciful, about being humble, about treating people better than they deserve aren't these ways in dealing with conflict, right? And then in the second half of chapter 5, we went through several weeks where he talked about some huge issues. He talked about murder and anger. Remember that? He talked about uh, divorce and, and, and adultery and lust. Remember we talked about that? We talked about last week, talked about being truth tellers and, and people of integrity and truth and lies. And even last week as we were talking about truth telling, we said that truth builds relationships. Isn't that a way that we manage relationships and conflict, and so Jesus is talking about all these different areas of relating with each other. In fact, as you take the big picture of the whole Sermon on the Mount, which is three chapters in the book of Matthew, the largest single place where we see Jesus talking continuously, the, the thread that seems to go through all of it is how we interact with the world around us. That's why we're calling this series Beautiful Contrast, because Jesus is contrasting the way that people who are following Jesus should live and react with the world compared to the way that the world typically and naturally wants to react. He's teaching that we should be different from the world around us. A beautiful contrast, and especially in our relationships with others. And so in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38, we're going to pick up, and right here Jesus is going to start with an example uh, of how we might naturally want to react to conflict, and, and he's going to contrast it with what he would have us do. And so let's just read just this first verse, verse 38, Matthew 5, 38. It says this, You've heard it said, Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. You ever heard that phrase before? An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. This is part of the Mosaic Code, which is the Jewish way of living and their way of, uh, of responding to God. And um, it's basically the common response that people have around the world. The cool thing, as I was reading about the eye for eye, tooth for tooth thing, is that Jesus, God, as he established that rule through Moses, 
he wanted to make sure that the punishment fit a crime. You don't want to have people being, you know, executed for, uh, you know, not putting their trash in the right space by the, by the street. You know, like this is, this is, the punishment doesn't fit the crime. And so that's the basic idea. Uh, and this is a phrase also that people use all the time. There are several phrases in this whole passage we're reading today that are phrases that people who don't read the Bible or know anything about it might say all the time and have no idea they came from the Bible. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Let's keep reading. Let's see what Jesus says to contrast it. Verse 39. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile with them, we'll go two. Give to the one who asks you. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. See, what Jesus is talking about is so huge as it comes to not just uh, all relationships, but specifically teaching those of, uh, of us in the room who call themselves Christians how to react with people. Be- because when I see Christians a lot, and maybe it's just my own cynicism, what I see is a group of people who seem to be angry a whole lot about a lot of things. And when they see conflict in the world, the way they respond is just with rage. And maybe there's a time for that. In fact, we did a whole week on anger, and we talked about how sometimes anger is completely righteous and appropriate. But more than that, Jesus is talking about as we interact with the world, there are going to be times when we interact with people, and that can't be the rule of thumb. You can't just flip out on people. That's not the way you interact with things. We want to interact. It's our natural response. Right, because you got to do something, right? I got to do something. It did me wrong. I got to do something. So first, Jesus refers to the eye for an eye rule. It's a good rule. It's God's rule, and it's a good baseline to get into. Uh, if you want to read more about eye for eye and tooth for tooth, uh, you can read about it in Exodus chapter twenty-one, verse twenty-four. Uh, also, it's again in Deuteronomy nineteen twenty-one. Those are both Old Testament passages. If you missed that and you want them again, come talk to me afterwards. Be glad to tell you again. Uh, but Jesus is saying this. Yes, yes, that's the baseline. Eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. But like everything else in his Sermon on the Mount, he's saying, I want you to raise the bar. I want you to raise the bar. And and here is his his new rule. His new rule is, these are my words, not his, but it's kind of how I summarize it. His new rule is, kindness should transcend retribution. Kindness should transcend retribution. In other words, kindness should be bigger and more important to you than getting even. Even though eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth is fair. Kindness over retribution is not our natural response. And that's why I want to suggest that it's a supernatural response. It's something that we can only do with God's help. It's something that only he can help us to and through. It's a reaction that's powered by God. Uh, So in verse 39, Jesus steps into these three examples. Uh, And, uh, you know, if you've read this before, you might have cringed a little bit when you're like, oh, yeah, that's in the Bible. (laughs) He talks about the slap. Someone slaps you. He talks about someone who's trying to take your, your shirt and, and, and your coat. He talks about uh, the, the being forced to walk a mile. Okay, And so uh, virtually all New Testament scholars, when they read through this, they'll tell you that these three things deal with three very distinct things that the Jewish audience would have dealt with on a regular basis. And so what we're going to do is kind of look at it through their perspective. Um, I've, I've, I've heard this. So it was a pretty interesting uh, sentence I heard a couple weeks ago. That every time we read the Bible, we read it out of context. 
Think about that. Every time we read the Bible, we read it out of context. Why? Well, because it was written so long ago. The context that we live in is a slightly different context. And so when you look at the Bible, you really need to learn to look at it through the eyes of people who lived at the time when it was being written. And the cool thing is the principles totally convey. They, they go straight into our lives today. And so um, let's, let's just go through these three things, the slap, uh, the shirt, and walking the mile. First, the slap. Uh, many cultures use the slap uh, slap in the face as an insult, you know, you, you've, you've done me wrong, and I remember those old cartoons where the guy would take off his little white glove, he'd be like, you know, slap him in the face, you remember those, uh, Tom and Jerry cartoons and stuff, um, and, and uh, you know, in our American culture, we're not so physical, like, if you touch me, I'm calling the police, right, that's, that's, that's called assault and battery, like, you don't touch people in America, so we do these more subtle, even more passive, aggressive insult things. This is, uh, you know, these things become these below-the-belt type comments, the little sarcasm that we stick in everywhere. And maybe like these notes that we read earlier when somebody's parked in your parking space at work and you're going to leave them a nice little sarcastic note. These are the slaps. And so the, the, the idea of this first category is these are interpersonal conflicts, possibly when someone's offended you, when you've been insulted. Um, this is, for us, this is the rude guy at the grocery store, you know? Like, pfft. Yeah, you have a nice day, right? And, or it's your neighbor who keeps letting their dog come and do their business in your yard. And like, you don't have a yard? Like, your dog doesn't want to go in your yard? Like, why you keep, I don't have a dog because I don't want to clean up dog stuff, right? And so, you know, that's the de- thing you're dealing with. Maybe it's your cousin who they just can't get their life straight and, and, and then they call you and they want you to, like, water their plants for them while they're on vacation. You're like, on vaca- you don't have a job. Like, why are you on vacation? You know? Um, and stuff like that. So these are the conflicts that we deal with. And Jesus says, our, our, though our natural reaction is... <laughs> You punch me, I punch you back. That's our natural reaction. In fact, it's indeed fair. But it doesn't take long for that type of interaction to escalate, does it? Okay, it starts with a push, and it goes to a slove, shove, and then there's a slap, then it's a punch. Next thing you know, we're rolling on the floor, and the police have to be called, right? And it grows, and sometimes it's quick, and sometimes it's over a period of time. But Jesus is saying this, instead of swinging back, just stand there. Just stand there and take it. In fact, offer them another cheek. Not because you're inviting them to abuse you, but as a way of saying, look, we're not doing it this way. He says, I want you to rise above that. Find another way, find a different way, and we're going to get into that way in just a minute. So that's the slap. The next example he gives is the shirt. This is kind of weird. As I read into it, it's, it's weirder than you might even, it sounds like it's just a thing, like someone wants your shirt, give them your coat too. It's like, well, why wouldn't they? I mean, maybe they're cold. This goes deeper than that. Uh, this had to do with a legal custom back in Jesus' day, uh, and there's a lot of different ways it could have worked, but in a nutshell, the custom was basically uh, your shirt, and don't think of it like a t-shirt. This is your tunic. This is like your basic base layer of clothing. This would be required as collateral in a legal case. If someone's going to sue you, just to make sure you show up at court, you know, you're going to give your tunic. It's weird, I know. And, and uh, this is kind of the idea of like, listen, I don't trust you enough. I need to have something very basic from you. You need to give me your tunic. That's the way it went. And Jesus is saying, listen, if someone is doing that to you, they're trying to sue the shirt off your back, don't just give them this less valuable garment. Go the whole extra way and give them your coat as well. Now, the coat thing is crazy because as you read into this first century culture, the cloak was a very valuable piece of of, uh, equipment. I mean, you might go to market and buy a bunch of vegetables or or grain or something, and you would actually use your cloak as as your grocery bag. You take it home. Maybe you need to carry something really heavy. Man, I've got this thing I can sling over my back like a pack, right? Very useful thing. And for very poor people, it would be their their shelter for the night and their, their blanket. And so Jesus is telling these people, listen, I want you to value your character as a peacemaker way more than you value some worldly possession that you have. 
And someone might be coming at you with something and saying, listen, I'm trying to hurt you. I'm trying to take you down. And you're like, look, man, you, you can take my stuff, but you're not going to damage my character. I'm not going to stoop to that level. Stoop to that level. And that's, again, kind of the same basic principle. So there's the slap. There's a the shirt and the coat. And the last one is this, the extra mile example. This is very cultural, but what I love is going the extra mile has become like an American idiom. Like people say that all the time, go the extra mile. Uh, this, this third thing, going the extra mile, is about a type of government conflict that we as Americans would flip out about if it ever happened to us. Uh, the, the, the deal was that the Roman soldiers who occupied the area at the time, by law, they could come up to any of their subjects and they could, they could force you to carry their military equipment for up to one mile. Now, the Romans were fair government, okay, and they just felt like everybody should share the load, and so they wouldn't let you abuse the privilege. You wouldn't go 10 miles or whatever, but you were forced to walk one mile. Now, can you imagine can you imagine how much people in that area hated that rule? Like, what? What's your natural reaction going to be if someone shows up and tells you to do that? Carry your own stuff, man. Right? Look, look at me. Like, you're a soldier. Like, you can do push-ups and stuff. Like, I'm just saying, don't, don't make me do it. Jesus says, no, no, no. If they force you to walk a, a mile, show them what you're made of. Walk two miles. Like, give them extra. Jesus is raising the bar. He's raising the bar from our natural reaction to a supernatural response. You know, for us, odds are good that we will never in our lifetime be conscripted by the military to carry anybody's pack. Like, that's probably not going to happen. There'll be riots in the streets before, before that happens. In, in our country, it could happen someday. But it's very likely that your boss that you don't like is going to ask you to do a task that you don't want to do. Right? It's very likely that your neighbor that you don't care for is going to come and ask you to water their flowers while they're on vacation. And you're like, I don't let your flowers die. Right? It's very likely that a family member is going to ask for a favor when you really don't feel like they deserve the favor. So you see how that very much is something that we run into all the time. And Jesus is saying, listen, go the extra mile. Let your love for someone transcend your distaste for them. Let your kindness outweigh the inconvenience. There's a disclaimer, okay? I need to say this. Jesus is not advocating that we take abuse from anybody. There's other places where, where we could talk about that. Uh, he's not forbidding self-defense by any means. You know, this isn't turn the other cheek and tell, you know, someone beats you black and blue. That's not, not necessarily what that's about. I don't think he's directly addressing a war or pacifism. I don't think that's what this context is about. This is about conflict with other people that we come in contact with. Uh, and in this whole chapter, what he's doing is challenging us to stand as a beautiful contrast to the world and let our natural reactions turn into a supernatural response. And Jesus is basically saying, I want you to love all people. But check out the biggest paradox of Christianity. Jesus wants us to love people who don't love us back. You see where that all comes to a head here? I mean, this entire chapter that we've been through in Matthew chapter 5 really comes to that head. It goes against the grain of our natural reaction, and it must, therefore, be a supernatural response. Because on my own, like, I'm like, I got words for you, bro. <laughs> but God says not. Raise the bar. Take the slap. Give him the coat. Go the extra mile because of something I do in you. We're going to keep reading uh, Jesus' teaching here in, in verse 43. Let's look at the rest of what he says. He says again, you have heard it was said. Is another phrase. You've heard it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Up to this point, every time Jesus said that, you've heard it said, he would then quote some Old Testament rule or law. But this one you don't find in the Bible. There's no one in the Bible that says hate your enemy. That's not in there. Uh, 
but this is apparently people had heard it said. <laughs> so this is just place where I look. And this is another big thing that you have heard it said. Let me tell you instead what you should do. Verse 44. He said, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain to the righteous and the unrighteous. And if you love those who love you, what reward will you get for that? Are not even the tax collectors, which they were considered bad people, are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your people, what are you doing more than anybody else? Don't even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. We've got to unpack that. That's a lot. Jesus points right, right to the heart of what he's saying. It, it's not popular, what he's saying, but it's also not cryptic. It's very clear. Jesus wants us to love our enemies. We've got to keep in mind that Jesus is talking to Jewish people here, okay? There's, there's probably, very arguably, no other people group in the history of the world who have been persecuted and mistreated as much as the Jewish people. All right, now you, Get on Wikipedia. Find out about it. It's, it's insane. He's also talking to these group of, of Jewish people, many of whom will become Christians very soon, like within a matter of months or years, some of these people. These same people who are going to experience extreme persecution. We talked while we were in the book of Acts a few months ago, just the level of persecution that the early church faced, and people were literally dragging Christ followers out of their house and killing them for their faith. And so Jesus is not coming into this saying, love your enemies, like AKA Duke fans and, and Carolina fans need to get along. Like this is not even the scale of what he's talking about. He's like, people who are out to kill you, you love them and pray for them. If we only love the people that are kind to us, then we miss out on loving a large percentage of the people that Jesus wants us to love. And it's hard to hear, it's hard for me to say but we're responsible for it. That's why he says this in verse 46. He said that if you love those who love you, who, what reward will you get? Right? Aren't even the tax collectors doing that? Aren't even, aren't even pagans? Pagans are people who don't you know, believe in God and worship God. Aren't, even, aren't they doing that? You're not going that far to do that. He says, but be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That, that's a hard sentence to hear, be perfect, because we know that we're not perfect and we're kind of like wait a second I thought the whole point of Jesus was that he knows we're not perfect and there's something else happening there I, I want to give you a couple of pieces there first of all that word perfect the Greek word perfect it's a it's a very complex word a beautiful word it can be translated in a couple of different ways and to give you kind of an idea of where it is uh, some other good words that you can translate that word into are complete or mature be complete and thorough as your heavenly father is complete be mature as your heavenly father is mature that's what perfection is right it's not broken it's done the way it's supposed to be done so in other words jesus says listen you, you need to love people the way that god loves people love them in the perfect way that he loves them not just because they're scratching his back but sometimes when they're nailing him to a cross once again jesus points out the beautiful contrast of the way we're supposed to live in this world. Jesus is teaching him to love others, well, like Jesus loves people. Like Romans chapter 8, sorry, Romans chapter 5, verse 8. This is Jesus' love. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. That while we were sinners, Christ died for us. If you keep reading Romans chapter 8, it says that we were enemies of God. 
if you're new to church today or, or, or just checking out the whole God thing through Christianity and you're just kind of finding your feet or maybe you're, you're new in, in faith, um, I want to tell you something that's been really powerful for me that I hope will be really powerful for you. Uh, God asks us to make a lot of changes in our life. He does. There's a lot of things that we need to do differently. But there's nothing that God asks us to do that he hasn't already done first for us. It's the beautiful love that God has given us. He asks us to love those who hurt us, which is not a natural reaction. He asks us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, which is not a natural reaction. But God set the example. He set the example with his supernatural response. He loved us even as we stood opposed to him. Even in our sin, even during our disobedience, he says, I love you. And he proved it by coming to earth in human form. God in the flesh is Jesus. That's the whole thing of what Jesus is. He said, let me show you. Let me show you how love's supposed to work. You love people who are not loving you back because it's my way. It's my character. And that's how I created you to be. And anytime you're living outside of that, it's not my plan for your life. That's, that's God's offer. And his request is that we should respond to the world around us with that same supernatural love. It's not natural, but it's the way that we're going to help this world see the light of God. And so when it comes to managing conflict, um, i got an illustration I want to give you. I hope this is something that you can take home and, and just plug into your whole life. There, there are three kind of facts that you've got to understand. I've got these in my hand. Can everybody see them pretty good? And the, the three things are this. The first one is this, is that um, when it comes to dealing with conflict, every single person has two buckets. This is a can, but it's also a bucket. Every single person has two buckets. Uh, that's the first fact, okay? When it comes to dealing with conflict, every person has two buckets. One is full of gasoline. One is full of water. Second fact, everywhere you go, there's a chance of fire. Fire equals conflict, right? It's an opportunity for something. Something small, like coming home from work with some cranky attitude and you just kind of start a fight at your house. Something maybe medium, maybe somebody says some inflammatory thing on, on Facebook or somebody just really gets you all right up. Or some big natural disaster tragedy type thing uh, like we saw last week. Like whatever it is, there are levels of conflict, but it's everywhere, Right? And so first, everybody's got two buckets, gas and water. Second, there's chances of fire everywhere. And thirdly, as each one of us approaches conflict, it's up to us which bucket we're going to pour onto the fire. Because the reality is we're going to use one of them. Fueling the fire doesn't solve anything. It might be satisfying in, in the moment. I've been there. But if you've ever dumped gasoline on a fire uh, in a non-safe manner, you can get hurt. Water on the fire does your part of helping to put it out. Those are the three things. What if you did everything in your power to extinguish the fires? Everything in your power. I'm not going to pour gas on anymore. I'm going to do my best to extinguish the fires. How would your home life be different if you did that? Your conversation with your husband, your wife, your kids. If instead of taking that low blow below the belt, you just said, that's not going to get us anywhere. What if 
you did that work, how would your work environment be different with your coworkers, with your boss? How if you, what, while you're driving, right? Someone, you know, the person who apparently doesn't know how to drive, right? What would it be for your own blood pressure if you chose to extinguish fires instead of inflame them? Now, here's the thing. Um, there is an endless supply in each one of these buckets. There is. You can always find a way to make things worse, can't you? I know I can. I'm good at it. I got like a PhD in, in ruining things. Like that's, I'm good at that. And, and here's the deal about this water bottle. You might think, I'm out. I'm at my wit's end. I can't help anymore. That's why this has to transition from becoming our natural reaction to becoming a supernatural response. Because you know what's in this bucket? God's love. That's what's in this bucket. Jesus is called an eternal spring. He's called a spring of life. And it's never running dry. That's what he offers us. He says if you could love people, instead of treating them like a conflict to be managed or avoided, love, that's what's in my bucket. And that's what he offers to you and to me, an endless supply. Just keeps going and going and going and going. It never runs out. And so here's the question that I have for you. We have an endless supply of gasoline. We've got this endless supply of water. I need to clarify this water thing. Naturally, we do not have an endless supply of water. Only through the power of God's spirit do we have an endless supply of water because he is the spring of living water. And the only way to get that is by accepting him as our Savior. We're told in the Bible that if we're baptized in his name, we receive the gift of his Holy Spirit. Like, that's the supernatural, right? But if you get that, you can start to do something amazing. You want to be a firefighter? Why don't we go out, instead of trying to fight people, we try to kill conflict. We try to put down the things that are just making this world too hot. <laughs> because there's fires everywhere. There's political conflict. There's social inequality conflict. There's economic conflict. There's interpersonal conflict. You're facing marital conflict and parenting conflict and financial conflict. And Jesus says, listen, the greatest commandment is to love God and love people. Overflow that love into the world, extinguishing the fire. Because when we do that, this is amazing, when we begin to pour out this supernatural response, what happens when people follow the water back to the source? It leads them to Jesus. Earlier on in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he said, listen, do good works before men so that they'll see your good works and they'll give glory to the Father in heaven. Because like so much else, this is not about you. This is about pointing people to him. Last week, our nation was hit hard. Again, I, I personally didn't hear about the Orlando shooting until after church on Sunday. I wish I'd have known about it sooner. We could have prayed in church while it was kind of still happening. Um, but when I got home, I was crushed, man. I, I, just, I just had to, I had to have a seat for a minute. I had to just think about what was going on. I was just imagining what it would have been like to have been in that club and to be with so many people. And, uh, and, and there was so much senseless killing that happened, so much hate, so much evil. And then as the week progressed, I saw so many resort to the natural reaction. And we started taking sides against each other. We started using it as an excuse to attack, uh, to attack one another. And so people start lining up to attack Muslims, and they start 
line up to attack the LGBT community, and, they, and people line up to attack conservative Christians, and people lined up to attack progressive Christians, and people lined up to attack people that are for gun control, and people lined up to attack people who are for guns, right? And it's just, let's just use, and then the enemy has attacked, and we use that as a reason to attack each other. It's our natural reaction. But then I saw something else that was beautiful. I saw a supernatural reaction, a supernatural response. There are so many stories of people, because of love, stepping in and helping. And this is not a news broadcast. You can go Google it and read it for yourself. But you, you heard the stories. People doing the right thing. People stepping up and protecting other people. Because this is a time when conflict has happened and we've got to ask ourselves, which bucket do we go to? What's your default bucket? Is it gas or is it the living water of God? You know, what do the families of a shooting like this need? What does the city of Orlando need? What does the terrified nation need? What do you and I need? We need a supernatural response. Because when people follow that spring back to its source, they're led to Jesus. What if ISIS terrorist cells learned what it means to love and be loved by Jesus? What if they began to live that out? How would that begin to affect the way the world works? Oh my goodness, things would be different. Yes, there needs to be justice. God is a God of justice. Crime needs to be punished. That's another sermon. It's a whole other thing. But when it comes to you and your relationship with the people around you, don't pour fuel on the fire. It's not your job. Pour on love. That's how we point the world to Jesus. We turn the other cheek. We give them our coat. We walk the extra mile. We love our enemy. We pray for those who persecute us. We learn to shift our natural reaction to a supernatural response. And that's how Jesus says we should manage conflict. Let's just pray together this morning. God, we love you. And um, our world was in need of a supernatural response. And you sent it. You sent it through Jesus. I mean, we couldn't deal with our own sin. We couldn't deal with our own unrighteousness. We can't deal with our own failures and our own brokenness. And, and you know that. So you came in the form of a man. And, and you've given us the perfect example of, of life. And the beautiful thing is that you include us in on that. And you say, hey, I want you to be a part of what I'm doing. God, I pray for our community here, our church family, that we can be um, a community of, of uh, firefighters, <laughs> that we dig deep, um, even when our natural tendency is maybe to blow up on something or someone, that we can be people who will turn to you. When we feel like we're running out, of good things to pour on bad situations that we understand that that is natural. We do run out. We are not, uh, we're not capable of going on forever. But that you are. Lord, draw us to our knees. Help us to pray for you. Turn our eyes to heaven where we know that you're the source. God, I pray for anyone in this room right now who's dealing with conflict. Um, maybe, maybe Father's Day is a rough day for them because of conflict. And, uh, I pray for that. Lord, that as long as it's in their power, they've just done what they can to pour love on the situation. I do pray for our nation as we continue to be stuck with just pain and hurting. Let us 
be a community of people who shines light in dark places and pours life-giving water into thirsty mouths. We love you. Pray in Jesus' name.